Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking about post-emerge corn broadleaf herbicides. Now, if you're in the northern part of the United States and you just got your corn in the ground, or maybe it's even just poking through, you might be thinking, wait a second, post-corn broadleafs, well... Believe it or not, there are other areas of the country where corn is tasseling. So we're already too late in those areas for post-emerge corn broadleaf control. And actually, we are getting a few broadleaf questions, and we always do, after brown silk. Guys will say, oh, can I go back in there and use some 2,4-D or something after brown silk to knock some of these weeds down? And that's one of the reasons that, that it's an opportune time to be talking about this. We don't want to put you in that spot where you're reliant on a late-season rescue treatment that may ding the crop up. We want to deal with these broadleaf issues early and use products with residual whenever possible to try to reduce any late-season outbreaks. So what I would suggest is start early. And, you know, this is one of the things, too, for our own farm for years. We looked at, all right, we got a really good pre out there. We don't have a lot of weeds. We can wait until the corn gets, you know, 8 to 12 inches tall. But the problem is we have a lot of acres to spray. We farm about 3,000 acres. You can't get over it in one day. And then all of a sudden if it rains and then it's windy and then, you know, it's pretty cold. I don't know if we want to spray. And all of a sudden you go, wait a second, this corn's getting too big. And now we've got a few weeds out there that are getting too big. Just start early and use a product that's got some residual. Most of these post-corn broadleaf products today have some residual. Here's the other thing. Part of the reason why we used to like to wait is because, especially in the straight roundup days, you didn't have any residual with your post product and we wanted to make sure that our fields were as clean as possible come fall. Well, now what we're doing is multiple shots of group 15. So we're doing a low rate of group 15 early. We're doing a little more group 15 later along with HPPD and atrazine usually and some Roundup. So we're throwing a bunch of things out there and a bunch of things that have residual. Well, anyway, when we do that, now we've got that extra residual control. So now I feel pretty good. And here's the other thing. I know it stinks to have a few weeds go to seed. But if we're just simply looking at this year's yield, what matters for yield in corn is keeping the field weed-free all the way from emergence up until it's 12 inches tall. Once you get past 12 inches tall, in studies I've seen, it shows basically no yield loss. So you can have a few weeds coming in there later on, no real big deal. You know, Brian, there's there's a lot of different products out there we've used over the years, and I, I get questions about some of the old ones. And I had somebody, believe it or not, I had somebody this week ask me, what do you think about MCP ester if the crop is still really, really, really small? What? And In corn? Yes. <laughs> And, and I said, no, absolutely not. I, I know it's, well, we can't use 2,4-D. I know we can't use any kind of 2,4-D in corn unless it's enlist now. There, there is some enlist corn. But 
otherwise, just in, in regular corn, I can't use any 240. But what if I do this? And it, the answer oh is, look, goodness. we don't want to take any chances. And, and honestly, we don't even like it in the burn down ahead of corn because it can potentially you can't injure use things. It. You can't use it in the burn down ahead of corn. It's way too risky. And why would you do that anyway I, when dicamba's dirt cheap I today know, and dicamba's better? All right. Then I had a question about this one, Brian. <laughs> what about- Oh, plus, wait a second. Plus, let me throw this out there. The HPBDs are ridiculously cheap. You could use a full rate of an HPPD, uh, mesotrione, or I mean, there's so many of them. Even Loudus with the rebates, there are guys getting name brand Loudus for like $2 an acre net by the time they get all their rebates in. So my, my point is, why, would, why in the world would you do something like that and spend more money than these other safe products that are better and have residual? Yeah, the tricky thing sometimes gets to be when people have a tough rotation and they say, man, I'm going to a crop that I can't use an HPPD ahead of and I'm nervous about, you know, different things. Well, you can still use dicamba. You can still use something Diflex. like- Okay. So safener. Yeah. A lot of people don't want dicamba because they worry about the crop injury. And I agree. Once you're past V2, you are taking some risk with old like Clarity or Banville. But let's say you have Diflex. Well, all that is is Clarity plus a safener. Well, then I feel a lot better. Now, I don't. I still don't want to spray it past V5. But I, yeah, I don't have any issue with Diflex. There is so much Diflex getting sold. I'll bet it's going to be 10x this year of what it was last year. Seriously, there's so much Diflex getting sold because that's in on this bear rebate program. So I know a bunch of guys who bought Diflex this year, never bought it before. But all of a sudden, it's cheaper than the generic Dicamba. And they go, wait a second here. What What's going on? <laughs> Yep, there have been some changes, and this is why we always say you got to look, relook at everything each year because sometimes prices change so dramatically, and you might not be thinking about it. So in the past, like here in the show, we've we've almost never talked about Diflex because for the money, I go, why would I want to spend that much money on on Dicamba? Yeah, it's got a safener, but what in the world am I doing? No way. I'd way rather use Status if that's what I'm going to do. Status is a better product yet, costs just a little bit more money. Well, now if you compare the two, it's night and day difference. But yeah, if you want no residual, then you got to go back to a dicamba. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things. When Round of Pretty Crops first came out, it was interesting. There were a number of guys saying, man, my oats are now yielding tremendous because I don't have all these residual products out there. And you have to be careful about what you're doing, and you have to remember some of the things that, that used to happen. So people will tell these stories from back in the 1990s, but you have to think about some guys were using a pound of atrazine, some guys were using two. And there were crazy things like that happening that – we would never dream of doing that today. There's no chance because you are limiting yourself in your rotations and what you're doing. And also, it's maybe not the best environmental thing. It like you said, the Brian, environmental thing. The, the economics have changed so drastically that you could do a full rate of an HPPD now, which is going to be awesome. Cheaper than you could do uh, cheaper than you could do 2,4-D, cheaper than you could have done that high rate of atrazine, uh, even a pound of atrazine. Now you can do an HPPD for the same money or maybe even less. So do check into some of these options because it is so important to get those broadleaf weeds under control in the corn rotation so that when you rotate to a broadleaf crop, it's much easier for you. All right, we're taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show as well today at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. 
With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic fungicides from Atticus LLC. Fungal diseases can be devastating, but Acadia, Slant, and Talaris 4.5F from Atticus deliver lasting, broad-spectrum fungi control so your soybeans, sugar beets, and dry beans can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Panther, Credit Extreme, and Cheetah for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these challenging times, we know you're under pressure. New Farm's here to help. Before it's too late and white mold becomes a problem, you need to ask your seed dealer for Heads Up Seed Treatment. When raising soybeans in the Midwest, you know the risk of being caught unprepared. As heard on AgPhD, there are several steps you can take prior to planting for a successful management plan against white mold. Compatible and cost-effective season-long protection starts now by asking your seed dealer to apply Heads Up to your 2020 bean seed order. For more information, visit HeadsUpST.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today and talking about post-corn broadleaf herbicides and taking your calls and questions throughout the show to 844-44-AG-PHD is our phone line. And of course, you can always email us radio at agphd.com. Let's head down to Nebraska, home of some tough broadleaf weeds. We've got Travis Gustafson with us right now with Syngenta. Travis, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Good, good. All right. So you've got all those resistant weeds that everybody else talks about too, and you've got corn to try and raise. How do you do that? How do you keep those broad leaves out of your corn? Well, one of the things we've been doing the last few years is to kind of save what we would traditionally plan as a pre-applicate or pre-herbicide and put it on post. Um, so for instance, Acuron herbicide, Normally, we'd run that as a pre, but now we're uh, we're starting to put it on a little later in the season, and you know, putting it on as an early post. That way, we're getting our full residual package in the soil just ahead of the emergence of the palmer and the water hemp, and that's been working pretty well for us so far. Yeah, I've been a lot of these combination products getting used, uh, low rates pre, low rates post, uh, some all pre, some all post. A lot of different ways guys can go, and, and flexibility, too, has been nice. I know oftentimes farmers take home products in bulk, and then it's, oh, no, the corn's popping through. Now I can't use it. Here, here are some things that we're talking about that you could use both pre and post. You know, one thing, too, Travis, that, that I, I think a lot of farmers are looking at is, hey, I've got some Group 50 in these products that's going to give me some more residual and give me some of that later season control I'm looking for? 
Right, yeah. I think um, as you guys said it said it well earlier. We have to have a residual with every application that goes out. And Group 15s and your uh, Group 27s are fantastic residual products. And we can't just rely on um, the you know the old Roundup days where all you did you wait for that flush to come up, burn them down, and then you wait for the next one and do it again. Um, we really have to manage our chemistry and the soil a lot more than we did before. And using Group 15s and Group 27s, uh, those are those are fantastic on corn. So we we have to keep those in the shed and, and keep um, keep managing those well because those are really effective tools in corn production. You know, we we think about resistant weeds, and a lot of times we go directly to well, it's resistant to Roundup or it's resistant to ALS chemistry. And you're right, we definitely want to preserve these HPPDs as best we can. And you talked about mixing in. Um, uh, group 15 along with that. What about Roundup? What about Atrazine? Are those still useful tools? And, and how much do they help out with a mix like this? Right. Atrazine especially is a good uh, tool to use in combination with the Group 27 because we see a lot of that synerg- synergistic activity with the um, the Atrazine and the, the uh, Group 27 kind of working together and it enhances the activity on the weeds. Um, the, uh, you know, the glyphosate, it still has a place. I, even though a lot of our weeds are resistant to glyphosate, there's still a lot that, that cleans up. You know, if you got a lot of grass crutcher in your field, glyphosate does a wonderful job taking out grasses, um, sunflowers, velvet leaf, uh, cockleberry, those types of things. It's still good to have that, uh, that tool around. And, and we still use, you know, it's our number, the number one herbicide out there in corn and soybean production. It still works. But a lot of our problem weeds, it's just not effective on, so we have to use other things. All right. Since you're in Nebraska, I'll throw this question at you too, Travis. We get a lot of feedback out of Nebraska listeners saying, you know, we've got reduced till now. We've got some rolling hills. We've got some lighter soils. We're trying to protect things. And we've got some winter annuals and some other tough broadleaves coming. How about in those situations in corn? What are you seeing? Are you adjusting the plan a little bit when you get into those kind of situations? Well, people are moving more towards the fall applications to take out the winter annuals you know, right at the get-go. But really, a lot of our um, with a lot of our pre's, we're throwing in that burn down either gramoxone, uh, SL. You know, now we're at an SL 3.0 herbicide. Um, those types of things, 2,4-D is a burn down. We're putting those in with our pre-applications and, and kind of taking care of a lot of that winter annual that we that we have as we head into planting. But a lot of that honestly has been taken care of before the planters hit the field. And and that's um, pretty much how we've adjusted to to some of these situations with the reduced till or the no-till. All right. Very good stuff. Uh, Talking to Travis Gustafson with Syngenta down in Nebraska. Travis, thank you and uh, really appreciate having you on. Good luck here this spring. Thanks a lot. You too, guys. All right. Let's head over to the state of Iowa. We've got our friend Rich Porter over there with AMVAC. Rich, how are you doing today? Uh, great. How are you doing today? We're doing quite well. You know, we're talking post-emerge corn broadleaf herbicides, and one of the things that, that we haven't really hit on yet is safety. We get a lot of questions about crop safety, certainly when we look at, at that HPPD chemistry, big improvement over some of the old chemistries that we used to use. What are you seeing in terms of, of crop safety, and do you have any tips to help us make things as safe as possible? Well, as far as uh, as crop safety uh, with with 
the product we offer, Impact Herbicide and Impact Z Herbicide, uh, we, we've got a very uh, good margin of safety. We've shown that over many years on uh, sweet corn, uh, on popcorn, and certainly on, on field corn. So, um, yes, a, a grower, an applicator can use our products uh, with confidence, uh, with, you know, with uh, the additives that we recommend with atrazine and, and see excellent safety. You know, when um, we were talking with Travis Gustafson earlier, he mentioned atrazine. And this is one of those things when the HBBDs first came out, one of the things that we heard was, wow, atrazine is so synergistic and it only takes a small amount. Is there kind of a trigger that you like to use with atrazine and, and a rate that has worked across a broad geography for you? Uh, that's that's an excellent question. What we've seen over the years uh, with atrazine is the the rate does not need to be much more than a quarter to uh, three eighths of a pound, uh, up to a half a pound to get the synergy. But but even at at a low rate of a quarter pound, uh, with impact and and I suspect other HPPDs. We're going to get that that synergistic action. I, I like to say it it, uh, it it adds to the degree of weed control and the speed of weed control. So we get to the the goal is get to the end point quicker. The quicker we get to a dead weed, the better. So so yeah, that's the the range we recommend is a quarter to a half pound with impact. Now, we've got a lot of different options now in soybeans, which has been great. And you look at dicamba being used quite often in soybeans and even 2,4-D now with the Enlist soybeans and Liberty and, and glyphosate. We do have this opportunity in corn to use different modes of action like the HPPD chemistry that we've been talking about a little bit today. When you think about corn, Rich, what are you seeing out there in terms of resistant weed management? Obviously, this is a great chance to to stop those weeds before we get into our broadleaf crops. So, so as far as uh, broadleaf weed resistance, I mean, by, by far the biggest uh, two, I'd say, that we have to be concerned about. One is water hemp in, in the northern geography, and the other is palmer, which is is obviously moving north so so those two we need to keep our watch out um giant ragweed would be another one that we need to watch out for and and i guess on the whole subject of resistance one thing that i'm hearing more of and i'm, I'm sure you are also is timing uh, application timing you know a few years ago we might have been talking or five to ten years ago rather you know four four inch to six inch weeds now we really need to think about three inch or less. We need to go after these, you know, broadleaf and grasses early when, from a post-emergent standpoint. Yeah, our success rate is so much better. Coverage is better. Even having the crop just a little bit shorter allows us to get that spray down deeper through that canopy and onto all those weeds. Good stuff there, Rich. Good tips. Rich Porter from AMVEC. Thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Thank you very much, Brian. Thank you. You know, as we're looking at corn broadleaf herbicides, uh, as I said, your crop may still be in the bag. You may still be trying to get it out there, but you do need to think about these things because the products that you're using pre are going to have an impact on what you can choose post-emerge as well. We'll talk more about that and take your calls and questions right after this. Stay tuned.
Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. Increase your productivity with Hypro's Dual React Control System. The dual nozzle body design allows you to drive at the speed you want while maintaining the rate and droplet size you need. Hypro, helping you spray better. How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. High-yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the high-yield grower toolbox. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we're talking about post-corn broadleaf herbicides. Yes, Brian and I love talking about weed control, and corn is a great place to do it. We've got Charlie Cahoon with us right now with North Carolina State University. Charlie, how are you today? I'm doing great. How about y'all? You know, we're doing fine, too. We got corn that's pretty small yet in our geography. We're thinking about what are we going to use, but we've also got a number of growers talking to us about, hey, I put down a pre and it had a lot of this in it or a lot of that, mostly HPPDs. Now what are my post-emerge options? I'm a little nervous about using an HPP down and using one post. We like to do it one time per year. How about in North Carolina? Can you get away with using them twice? 
Well, I, I can I share your sentiment. We obviously, with all the resistance issues we have, we would like to to limit that HPPD use to one um, a year. Uh, we f primarily use the HPPDs post-emergence in the form of you know like a Halex GT or a Caprino down this way. I would say our standard pre um, because we you know we can use atrazine and and the 15s is is typically like a bicep or a, any atrazine plus a group 15. Uh, and then you typically see more of the HPPDs used here post to, to kind of help pick up some of that herbicide-resistant palmer pigweed. Now, you mentioned the, the resistant weeds there a couple of times, and a lot of times we think about these these grass crops like corn is our chance to clean it up regardless of what broadleaf crop is in your rotation. It's just tougher to clean up in the broadleaves. Are, are growers in North Carolina able to get really clean cornfields yet, or is it getting to be a challenge? No, absolutely. A corn is, and this is something we preach to our growers um, routinely, is that corn is a great opportunity to to get out ahead of some of these resistant weeds because, uh, you know, unlike some other states, we we don't have widespread uh, trizing resistance. So atrazine still works for us, and you know it's still um, used quite a bit, and it works good on Palmer at small post and got residual activity. It also works on our herbicide resistant ragweed. Um, still working on lands quarters in most spots. Um, so that that's, you know, we, we're able to keep our corn clean because we've got a little bit bigger toolbox than we do in, in the broadleaf crops like y'all mentioned with, you know, the PPO resistance in soybeans and cotton and um, the thing that kind of shrinking the toolbox in those crops. Absolutely. You, you mentioned using HPBDs kind of primarily post-emerge, and that's the same thing that's happening in the north with just how cheap some of these HPBDs have gotten. But we still have growers using status, uh, for especially for weedy messes. That seems to be one that cleans a lot of weeds up in our geography. And then also this year with the Bear Plus rebates, we're seeing a lot more Diflex going out. Is dicamba in corn a, a big player in your market? So I would say not as big a player as it is for y'alls, but it is gaining more traction. We've had a history of using status in our our large grain producing, you know, our traditional grain producing regions, um, but it's getting more use outside of those regions now with the, the dicamba tolerant crops. Folks are getting used to using it in soybeans and cotton, so they're getting a little more comfortable using it in corn. So, yeah. And I, I've also heard uptick in the in the calls about Diflex, so in addition to to status. Yeah, it's been it's been an interesting year. We were talking about earlier; prices are always changing, and things that we thought, oh, that's too expensive, I'll never do that. In the next year, it's half price, and you say, wow, I can't afford not to use that one. One one segment that I think is maybe getting a little overused in our market has been the Group 15s, and we love them in corn. They've been great for years and years for grass control and also helping on some of these small seeded broadleaves. We're we're doing a lot of these strategies, and I want to get your opinion on this split shot of low rates of group 15s a little bit pre a little bit post and then guys are doing kind of the same thing in beans is that going to create problems for us or is it okay to do that so uh, any we, we know we have group 15 res resistance out there with with pigweed and water hemp and so we're definitely concerned about it um and i would say you know rates use rates on pre-emergence products are a little bit different than post-emergence products where if you cut the rate on a post-product, we know you're committing a cardinal sin. With a pre-product, 
you know, that residual activity is just going to run out quicker. Um, but the selection pressure should be about the same because if you use a high rate, at some point in time, that rate's going to be equivalent if you used a low rate. Um, it's just how soon you get to that rate. Um, so what I'm more concerned about, particularly down here, is we're having the same issue. We're, you know, we're using 15s heavily multiple times in crops and in all of our crops prim primarily. So we really don't break that rotation um, of the group 15s. And we're actually seeing, uh, I'm seeing weed shifts in response to that. And you know that resistance is going to follow behind it. We're finding more and more Texas panicum because that's a, a, a grass that the 15s are weaker on. And it's kind of replacing all the other annual grasses where we've been kind of abusing these group 15 herbicides. Wow, yeah, that's interesting how the how nature just changes. It it shifts uh, different yeah, weeds into the rotation. Uh, okay, how about in no-till and reduced till? And I know you've got a number of those acres that you work with. We're hearing in our area a lot of guys that have done the fall apps are really having good luck with that. There started to be more people doing that, and the spring applications we're seeing more gramoxone used up here in place of Roundup. How about in North Carolina? So we, we don't have a strong history of using fall burndowns, primarily because when you get, you know, west of, you know, Raleigh, we got a lot of topography. And, you know, folks are not in the business of having, you know, washing out and stuff like that. So sure. they're worried about having the land covered. So we don't have a, a huge tradition of doing fall burndowns, but people are starting to, to ask about it, especially where we have um, Roundup-resistant ryegrass, and there's not really too many options when they get into the spring. So they're, you know, they're being kind of forced to do something in the fall to get out ahead of of um, the ryegrass. I will say this, the winter we had, we were on the warm side for winter, and then we fell into this cool spell kind of in the early spring burn down time. We've had a very strange burn down season where a lot of burn downs have not worked very well. Um, getting a lot of complaints, more complaints about Ryegrass not being controlled with, with Roundup and other weeds as well. Horseweed comes to mind. One y'all, I don't know if y'all deal with field pansy, but we've been getting a lot of complaints about field pansy as well. Yeah, always, always interesting. Really good to talk to folks in the know in different parts of the country. We're talking with Charlie Cahoon at North Carolina State University about broadleaf control in corn. Charlie, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. It was great stuff. Hope to have you on again sometime. Yeah, thanks for having me. Y'all have a great day. You bet. You as well. One of the things I was going to throw out here, too, before we wrap this discussion up on the post-corn broadleaf herbicides, actually two things. One is multiple effective modes of action. Make sure that whatever weeds you have on your farm, you are targeting the top two or three weeds, and you're using two or more modes of action that are going to kill that weed. Also, just talking about group 15s and how much we're using them. There are a lot of people, I mean, since dual went off patent, the price of that crashed. We're seeing the same thing with acetochlor. And I mean, all these group 15s, it's getting really inexpensive. So people are using them once, if not twice in corn. We're using it twice in corn. There are a lot of people using them once, if not twice in beans. And if they're in a corn bean rotation, all of a sudden that's at least for most guys, three times that they're getting a group 15 out in two years and you go, hey, wait a second, should we be getting worried about this group 15 resistance? Well, one of the big ways you stop it is this, just never forget 
the standard rule about resistant weeds. A dead weed cannot become a resistant weed. So just make sure everything's dead and no problem. Well, what are we worried about with group 15 resistance? What we're worried about is grasses. Keep Roundup in the mix. Almost all your beans, almost all your corn, chances are, is still tolerant to Roundup. So there are a lot of people talking about, well, Roundup doesn't work anymore. I'm just going to leave that out. No, Roundup works phenomenally well on 99% of the weeds out there, or I should say 99% of weed species out there. Yes, I get it that your worst weed or two may be Roundup resistant, but let's think of all the other weeds. If there are a few grass escapes out of that group 15 that were becoming resistant to the group 15, well, you can stop it in its tracks with a little bit of Roundup. doesn't take much. So I would encourage you continue using some Roundup to clean up grass escapes and escapes of some other weeds. We'll be right back with your questions after this. Stay tuned. Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. We interrupt this message for an important announcement. In these uncertain times, many farmers are looking to prolong their grain storage. That's why Farm Shop MFG is offering a $12.50 credit per germinator towards the purchase of a Grain Temp Guard Alarm DT, up to $200 per unit. Protect last year's crop and start 2020 off right. Go to farmshopmfg.com to order today. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Imagine the perfect flow of grain from the field to the bin. Imagine a single rotor that ensures both quality and productivity. An advanced system that optimizes harvest settings on the go. You don't have to imagine. With features like AFS Harvest Command, an axial flow combine from Case IH always delivers the perfect flow for your operation. Find out how. Talk to your Case IH dealer today. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. 
Talk to your local retailer today to put fears to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Talking about post-corn broadleaf herbicides, and we're diving into the Ag PhD mailbag right now. You can join the discussion at 844-44-AG-PHD or send, a, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Got one from Austria, Brian. This is regarding herbicides in corn. And he said, while applying weed treatments in corn, we noticed phytotoxicity on our corn plants. Yep. But it seemed like just the older plants got damaged, ones that had more than three leaves. Here's what we used. We used mesotrione, yep. nicosulfuron, and dicamba. It came in a product called oh. Quizda Maze Pack, uh, containing the probably more known products. Yeah, we, we know all those products. So meso yep. would be the active ingredient. Callisto, nicosulfuron is, or nicosulfuron is accent. And of course, dicamba. His, he said, yeah, how come the older plants showed more damage than the younger plants? Because you have dicamba in there. And we were just talking about earlier in the show, like for me personally, with no safener, I really don't want to spray dicamba past V2. Now, it'll tell you on the label, you can spray up to V5, which is about six to eight inch tall corn. And you can, it's just you're taking more risk. I've seen corn fall flat the next day after spraying dicamba in that V2 to V5 range without a safener. So I just, I don't want to do it. We know that at V3, ear shoots are initiated. Why put extra stress on that plant at that point? Now, in terms of leaf burn, meso, accent, dicamba, you're not going to see a tremendous amount of leaf burn at the time with those unless you put some type of adjuvant in there. And that's what he did not list. I'm assuming he put an adjuvant in. And with the adjuvant, you are going to see a little bit of burn on the leaves. I'm not too worried about a little bit of leaf burn. That's that. That's not too scary to me. What's more scary is the dicamba on bigger plants because it is very easy to damage the stalk and damage that plant internally with dicamba, especially as plants get bigger. Again, the label is going to tell you up to V5. I would tell you I don't really like it past V2 without a corn safener. All right. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that, Morris. And and uh, thanks for, for checking out our program as well. Got this one from Ed. He said, guys, I've just planted some Roundup Ready alfalfa. I'm wondering what are my options for early season weed control? There seem to be a lot of herbicides out there, but wondering what you would recommend. Okay. So what you missed out on is Eptam. There's no possible chance I would seed an alfalfa crop without Eptam. I'd put Eptam on at half a gallon per acre. That's going to kill the vast majority of your early season weeds, give you great residual, get that crop off to an excellent start. If you didn't put the pre on, that's too bad because you missed out on the very best thing you could possibly use in your alfalfa, even including Roundup. So now you're left with just a few choices. You've got Buckthrill, you have Raptor or Pursuit, they're basically the same thing. You have a little bit of butyrac, you could throw in maybe an ounce or two. That's old 2,4-DB. That can be a little hard in the alfalfa. But if, let's say, you had water hemp, you know, what are you going to do? Because Buckthrill's weak in water hemp. Pursuit and Raptor or ALS, water hemp's probably ALS resistant. And uh, the water hemp is probably also Roundup resistant. So that's it. That's all you got. Buckthrill, Pursuit or Raptor, 
little bit of butyrac, and Roundup. Yep, so depending on which weeds you've got, those are your choices. So obviously you've got Roundup Pretty Alfalfa for a reason. You're planning on using some Roundup, which yep. that's going to be awesome yep. for the grasses. Yep. And that's better than using a Clethodim or something like that. For sure. With the broadleaf weeds, yeah, you don't really have a great pigweed solution. No, there. and that's that why I just said, I, I mean, that Eptam, you missed out on the best thing that there is for broadleaf weeds. All right. Uh, thanks for the question, Ed. We really appreciate that. Uh, let's let's dive into this one. This comes from Bob. He said, I've been planting brassica food plots for years now, and I do rotate the plots from year to year. Every year, insects seem to invade my plots and defoliate the entire plots. Whether it's aphids, caterpillars, or grasshoppers, they ruin my plots. I'm located in Connecticut. I'm usually planting these plots around August 15th. My average frost date is generally around mid-October, and I've got a great-looking plot uh, for a couple of months after planting, but then it doesn't take long for the insects to take over. So I'm wondering, is there anything I can spray while I'm yep. planting the brassicas? Oh. <laughs> I'm normally terminating the existing plot with glyphosate before I plant these brassicas. Then I'm wondering, could I use Warrior or Silence or Post? What would yes. you suggest? And is there another crop I could just add into the mix that would help me fight the bugs? Nope, no other crop you can add in. Yes, you can use any of the cheap pyrethroids to spray post-emerge. In terms of pre-emerge, you could look on the label. I don't I don't remember off the top of my head, but I assume you would be able to put something like a gaucho, poncho, or cruiser seed treatment on your brassicas. That would be an insecticide that will give you some systemic activity on early season bugs. It's not going to help you a whole lot past the first month or maybe month and a half but that would at least suppress some of the insect levels that you're going to see. I'm just trying to say it'll give you activity for maybe even two or three months, but it's not going to do a great job for control on anything past that month, maybe month and a half time, but you will see fewer bugs. So I, I personally, I think you're best off to just seed it like you normally would and go out there and spray once or twice with a cheap pyrethra. It only costs two bucks, two bucks an acre. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, we've got uh, some seed treatment questions coming out from Jonathan in North Carolina. He said he had seed treated several different ways, and was just wondering our opinion on each of those seed treatments, and that, that should be interesting. First of all, I would just say this, Jonathan, uh, that's cool. That's neat that you got seed treated a few different ways so you can actually look at it and check out the performance on your farm. Now, he said, I do have nematode rates on the, the products that have nematodes, one thing that I do like with all of them, there's no dust coming out of the seed tender spouter vacuum. I started using Bayer's Fluency Agent Advanced yep. in my planter box several years ago for cotton and soybeans. I have loved that. My meters and vacs have stayed clear. So here's what it, here's what I've got. He said, I've got Pancho Votivo plus Evergoal. I've got Apron Max plus Saltro. Wait, wait, hold up. Okay. All right. Apron Max. Plus Saltro. Okay. And then I've got Cruiser Max. And he's got Flow Right in on some of these two, but but that isn't going to do anything in terms of killing bugs or protecting the seed. So Pancho Votivo, you're looking at uh, suppressing some nematodes and also killing some other harmful bugs. So well, I like uh, having that insecticide component. Well, okay. So the Pancho, you've gotten the first one. You've got Cruiser in the last one. So those two are basically equal. 
And those are the insecticide treatments with your Apron Max Saltro. You don't have anything for bugs. So treatment number two, you don't have anything for bugs. So number one, I don't like that. Um, in terms of Saltro, you mentioned that that is good on sudden death syndrome. It has activity in a number of other diseases, and it does have activity on nematodes. So when we start talking Votivo and Saltro, you have activity on nematodes. Okay, with Cruiser Max, you don't have any activity on nematodes. Uh, let's see, and then Evergall versus Apron Max Saltro versus Maxim. Um, you know, I would assume the Evergoal is probably going to give you the best disease control. Yeah, so you've Ever got a, a wide variance here. I mean, it, let's put it this way. A lot of times what we do is we'll compare three things that are all the same except for the last component. So in other words, let's say they all have insecticide. Now we do a different fungicide with each of them. But what you've done is you've got two that have nematodes, a different two that have, or, or you know, nematode suppression, a different two that have insecticide, um, and we're we're just we're we're kind of comparing apples and oranges a little bit here. So I, yeah. it all depends on what your worst problem is. If you have no bugs that show up, well, then the cruiser Ma or sorry, the apron Max Saltro might look pretty decent. But if you have bugs, then treatment one or three is going to look obviously a whole lot better. So. I, I, I don't know what you're, you're, you're really after, so it's kind of hard to specifically answer the question in terms of which one we think will do the best. Yep, yep. For us, we really like to have that uh, insecticide portion in there, the neonic. We really like to have multiple fungicides in there, like your Evergoal. I'm assuming it's Evergoal Energy, where you got three different um, fungicides in there that, that work very well, three different fungicides. And we like to have that biological component in there as well. That's a, that's a big deal for us. Uh, good luck with your trial. It'll be interesting to see what kind of yield differences you see. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy all the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Challenging field conditions often make harvest difficult. Can your corn head handle it? 
The GTS X10 corn head from Agra US is a rugged, cost-effective alternative to heavier, more traditional heads. Constructed of durable yet lightweight aluminum, the X10 puts less strain on your combine without losing harvest effectiveness. And it is 40% lighter than traditional heads, reducing field compaction in those less than ideal conditions. For more information, give us a call at 8334-AGRA-US. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. It came in waves, ruthlessly eliminating the new spectrum of hard-to-kill grassy weeds in wheat. Everest 3.0 Herbicide. A new formulation makes it brutal on yellow foxtail, foxtail barley, and other tough grasses. Everest 3.0 gets the weeds you see and the ones you know are coming, with flush after flush control. Ask your retailer about Everest 3.0. Wave after wave of grassy weed domination. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. That means it's your calls and your questions throughout the rest of the show. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. For those of you who are challenged with your phone, like my brother, that's 844-442-4743. Hopefully that helps you out. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com. All right, I picked on Brian there. Now I'm going to throw one. I'm going to throw him a softball. I think I'm too challenged with my phone, but go ahead. This first question comes from David, and I'm I'm reluctant even to do this at the end of the show. But he said, I saw your website, and I'm hoping you can help me learn more and understand more about tiling for farmland. Do companies that lay drainage tile have any kind of warranty or guarantee on their work? Typically not. I'm planning on putting in four-inch tile and just – uh, wondering what other websites or resources you think I should check out and what I should know as I'm installing this four-inch tile to watch out for to instruct my contractor. Uh, let's keep it real simple. Keep water running downhill, and you're usually in pretty good shape. So you do that, and that's 90% of it. Now, there are some little tips that we can give you. We have plenty of videos out there on YouTube. We also have a tiling DVD that you can buy right off our website, agphd.com. That's several hours going through, I mean, like every last little thing that you could possibly think of. I, I would just say this. If you're working with a contractor who is pretty experienced, they know what's going on. But, you know, where I've gotten a lot of my information over the years has been from farmers. So go out and talk to three or four farmers that have done tiling in the past or have tile in their field. And and many of them, I'm sure, would be happy to share with you the things that have gone right and gone wrong. But I'll just tell you this. Tiling is such an unbelievably phenomenal phenomenal investment. I, I, I just... I, I get so excited talking about it all the time. Yeah, that's why Darren basically is leading you to believe that I'm going to steal the rest of the show talking about tile. 
But oh, you're not I, done talking yet. Nope, I'm not, but I'm awfully close. <laughs> so, so anyway, we run into people quite often that say, "Well, I can't, I can't afford to put tile on the ground right now." <laughs> I'm just like, "What? Are you insane?" Yes, you can. Your banker would love to see you put tile in the ground. Go talk to the banker. The bankers love tile because it increases the value of the land and it increases your production all the time. So I was just talking to a farmer who'd been talking quite often to Sonny Purdue, and I said, you need to tell Sonny, um, why don't you have a low-interest loan program for drain tile? I mean, granted, I, I, I appreciate and I, I would love it if farmers can get some help, you know, government help for all the commodity prices going bad and everything else, and get some more money out to farmers. That's great. But in addition to that, how about a low-interest loan program for tile? Because now, all of a sudden, it's not just throwing money away or anything. It, I mean, it's a long-term investment, and it is an investment toward, uh, well, you have to put money out and put it into your ground. You have to hire tile contractors or buy tile plows. You have to buy tile, and it's something that pays off for you every single year. Your soil is so much healthier. It's just it's it's economic development is really what it is. So anyway, yeah, I can't say enough good things about tile. It's awesome. All right. Uh, thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. Uh, this one comes from Roland, who says, I'm a city slicker who got into ag in college. Now I am a custom applicator with a large ag service in eastern Iowa. Been spreading dry fertilizer this week, switched over to doing some liquid applications as well. I'm curious uh, what your advice would be for someone who's fairly green yet to do the best possible jobs in fields. Do you think it's important that I understand fully all the products I'm using, that it's important I understand the equipment? Uh, what other things could I do to bring value to growers? I would say, here again, just like the last question that we had in, just talk to the farmers and just ask them, what, what could I do as an applicator? What could our business do to help you? What, what are you looking for in somebody who's going to do a great job? So I'll just give you a couple of the things that over the years a lot of farmers have complained to me about with their custom applicator. One is missing the corners of the field. So you got to be detail-oriented in any job that you have in life. And if you take your time back into the corner and spray properly, okay, that's a big thing. Second thing is rutting up fields. Now, you don't always know when stuff is fit or not. The farmer just tells you, hey, get out here. Well, you, you don't have that experience. <laughs> Our last question was about tile. If you're rutting up the field, that tells me, number one, the guy probably needs some more tile out there. But number two, if it, it is that way and it's questionable if you should be out there or not, it's it's really communication. And at least if you then talk to the farmer or whoever it is, your boss or somebody talks to the farmer and says, look, we can do this job, but we're going to leave some ruts out here. What do you want us to do? And document that. So then later, if the guy complains, there's nothing you can say he made that decision. So rutting up the field is the second big thing. The third big thing is just the quality of job that gets done. So making sure that you use the right product in the right fashion, right spray nozzles, right adjuvants, and you're meticulous in terms of where you spray it and when you spray it. We see a lot of drift issues that happen. We see non-control issues that happen. So, you know, yeah, I mean, it's important to learn about the product, but I'd say the number one thing is 
talking to the farmers and making sure you're doing the job that they expect you to do. All right. Thanks for the question. Good luck to you as well. Get this from Francisco. He said, wondering how you determine your seed corn population as you move from field to field. <laughs> I'm surprised seed corn bags don't give you any idea of what optimum populations are for the hybrids that are in them. Yep, because it all depends on so many other factors. Soil type, rainfall, fertility, I mean, how you plant. In other words, are you doing a good job so you're going to have all the seeds grow or just part of the seeds growing? I mean, what it really comes back to, I hate to say it this way, but it's basically just trial and error. For every farmer out there, they're doing, they're they're trying some different things and then they're using their judgment and they're using what other farmers and industry people tell them they believe is going to be best but, you know, ultimately, yeah, it's just, it's really just trial and error. The, the biggest reason why farmers can't go higher in population, number one is fertility, number two is water. Now, most farmers, if you ask them, they'll flip it around. They'll say, water's number one, fertility's number two. It's not that way, and here's why. Because if you do the fertility right, your plant needs a lot less water. So you got to get the fertility right. But yes, water is a huge factor. So if you only are, if you're in an area like us where you get 20 inches of rain normally, there's only so far we can go. In areas that get 40 inches of rain, obviously they can push the population a little more. They've got the chance for a little higher yield. Things are just a little bit different for them. It's a little more forgiving for them. Every once in a while we luck out and we have lots of rain, but some years we get down so we have almost no rain. So it's, it's real challenging in our environment because we have no irrigation. Yeah, there's a lot of different things that go into to figuring out what's going to work for populations and, and various hybrids. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit trickier than, than making a standard recommendation for everybody. Uh, I got some feedback from a, a couple of folks that don't think we're giving no-till a fair shake, and we do get some of these comments from time to time. <laughs> what? Uh, I think we give everything a fair yeah, shake. Ivan, go ahead. Ivan says, any farmer who's still tilling just doesn't understand the benefits of no-till. Hey, Ivan, I am so glad it's working for you. That's awesome. We are not against no-till at all. Uh, but I, I think there are some times where tillage might be a, a thing that you want to be able to well, do. Well, just as an, as an example, we have a dairy that's right next to us. We get manure from the dairy. How are we going to do that if we don't till? We, we don't have a choice. we got to get it down into the ground. we got to get that manure down into the ground. Otherwise, we're putting everybody at an environmental risk. So, yeah, no-till is great, but... There are limitations to it, just like there are limitations to everything out there. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I got another one here from uh, GNPC who says uh, same thing, same kind of stuff. Uh, you don't know what you're talking about, about tillage. And then why do you need to do tillage? There's a place I haven't done it for a long time. And also cover crops act like mulch and create a great climate underneath the ground where your crop is trying to grow. Hey, we're not against cover crops either. They definitely can be used oh, and just used they, beneficially. Right. It's just they have some drawbacks. For us, in a limited moisture situation, it will will have sometimes where we raise a cover crop, and if we let it grow into the spring, we don't raise a very good crop the next year. It's just the way it is. And also, sometimes if you let it grow in the spring in our climate, because it's so cold, you have delayed planting because it's kept that ground cold and wet. So, I mean, yeah, cover crops have a definite benefit, but in every environment and every climate, they're going to be a little different. I think you hit the nail on the head, Brian. We like to talk the pros and cons of everything in agriculture. Thanks for listening today. 
Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.